Rebecca Davis is in Kimberley, and I don't know that I'm pleased about that, but I'm pleased about the fact that we are able to have Plan B today. We couldn't have it yesterday because Rebecca was on the way to Kimberley. Hello. Hello, John. What an extraordinary little flight of fancy about <laughs> several rounds of golf deficiencies you just delivered. I think that's quite slanderous. Well, flights of fancy is what one is given to on a day where the temperature is 30 degrees. But you'd probably be grateful for the 30 degree temperature. It's probably well over that in Gimberley. It is sweltering. And of course, this whole province is just looking so unbearably dry, I must say. As you, as you fly in, it is really horrifying the effect the drought has taken here. And I, I guess that would have been very much an image that you carried all the way on the road up to Kimberley. Yes, the... I was speculating earlier that, that perhaps the ANC strategists in charge of deciding where the January 8th festivities should take place this year had not been to Kimberley for a while. Because honestly, I can't think of a less appropriate place in which to host what is supposed to be a kind of jubilant festival celebrating all the progress the ANC has made over the past 20, however many years. This place the Northern Cape is in very, very bad shape. I mean, the roads, John, the roads are just abominable, even by South African standards. The drought, the roads, the poverty you see everywhere. And honestly, that is reflected in the reception that the ANC leaders have been getting this week, understandably. You know, they haven't been met with these uh, beaming, grateful voters. They've been confronted by people saying over and over again, this is not okay. We have no sanitation. We are 43 people living in one house. That was something Tora Mpoza encountered, I think, yesterday or the day before. And I think that has, you know, sort of taken the edge off what is supposed to be a celebratory moment to the party, that this is a province which is just falling apart very evidently. The, the, the relatively new Premier, Zamani Saul, does seem to be making the right noises around reining in profligate government spending and, and so on. Um, but, I mean, if he's genuinely going to be a more effective, a leader of a more effective service provision government in the province, he needs perhaps a little bit of time. But you might expect to have seen some signs of a different approach? I think there have been sort of shoots of progress. I know there's a new mental health hospital open up in Kimberley and that sort of thing. I'm hoping to sit down with the Premier on Monday to get a fuller account from him. But there's no doubt that corruption is still rampant. I mean, the Saul Plyke municipal manager and another top official have just been fired for corruption or suspended. So Mr. Saul, the activist Premier, certainly has his, has his work cut out for him. And, Nicola, look, the ANC is, well, we don't know because we don't know what the keynote address tonight is going to say at the dinner and we don't know what the January 8th statement is going to be delivered tomorrow, January 11. We don't know what it's going to say. We don't know to what extent it is going to acknowledge the problems that you're talking about and the dissatisfaction on the ground and the fact that the ANC has not progressed over the last you know well over a, well let, let's let's say from 1994 when it went went into government that there's been backward movement significant backward movement it's not going to acknowledge that as as openly as its critics would want it to do but it would be nice if the the tone of the official speeches was less than triumphal than i expect them to be yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we mustn't forget that this isn't the state of the nation address. This is a party-specific 
address, it is the ANC. Well, of course, the ANC is the party of government, and there's very blurred lines between the two institutions. But, I mean, the, the purpose of this has always been fundamentally quite celebratory, quite a moment to be like, look how far we've come, 108 years, etc. But as you say, there would seem to be something really quite fundamentally dishonest this year if there isn't some acknowledgement in particular of ESCOM. I think that that would make a real difference to a lot of people to hear Cyril Ramaphosa really, maybe for the first time, just acknowledge the damage fully that ESCOM is doing to this economy. Is it too much to ask that he would present some plan that was not the usual you know, the usual vague stuff we've heard up till now about wet coal and sabotage and maintenance and et cetera, et cetera. I think that if he doesn't tackle the issue of ESCOM in the speech tomorrow, there's going to be real trouble and there's going to be a lot of disappointment. And then on to a topic which Nicola tells me you really want to talk about. <laughs> Harry and Meghan and their shock announcement, the shock announcement from the Sussexes. Do you have feelings on this matter, John? I imagine you do probably quite strong ones. No, I don't have feelings on this matter at all. I have feelings on the issue of monarchy, whether we're talking about um, um, an East Coast monarchy in South Africa, a West Coast monarchy in Nigeria, or a monarchy in the United Kingdom. I don't like. In fact, I abhor the idea of inherited privilege, bloodline privilege. But, but further than that, I don't have any um, ideas or thoughts on this. Do you? Yes, many. Well, I think what you've touched on there is interesting because I agree. But the whole notion that one of the motivations for Harry, Prince Harry, breaking away in this matter is to be a more progressive royal is really quite absurd, John, because of exactly what you've just said, that the position of a royal is so fundamentally steeped in privilege. It is the most elitist position you can hold on this planet. I mean, the British royals are scraped and bowed to from birth. Every citizen of that country is taught the way to address a royal as if you were subordinate to them. And here is a mind-blowing piece of information I learned this week, John. Did you know that if you die in Cornwall without a will or without a next of kin, your property automatically goes to Prince Charles, to the Prince of Wales? That is the extent of how feudal Britain really is. So my point is, if Prince Harry really wants to be a woke progressive royal, then for goodness sake, he must give up the title too. I cannot see how you can retain the title without doing any of the royal duties. It simply makes no sense to me, and I find it kind of annoying. I mean, that probably makes me sound quite old, because I think there's a kind of generational split in how people are responding to this. A lot of young people just say, oh, good for Harry and Meghan, they're getting out of that, good for them. But I mean, I think there is something to be said for the fact that if you are going to call yourself a royal, to use the titles Royal Highness the Duke and Duchess, then you have to be prepared to get out there and shake old granny's hands. And if you're not, then great, give it all up. Give it all up. But you can't have it both ways. Yeah, I mean, um, royal privilege, I mean, they, they want to try and move away from it, they say, but they, the, the charity that they have registered is called the Sussex Charity or something more than that. And they're apparently trademarking a whole lot of stuff um, that they are going to have sold, uh, mugs and, and T-shirts and scarves and whatever, branded with the Sussex logo, which is their inherited royal privilege brand. So, you know, how can you move away from the privilege of royalty and then make your money from that very privilege of royalty? It's deeply hypocritical. It 
is hypocritical. And I would go further and say that actually I suspect their major motivation in all of this is wanting to be able to make and spend money more freely. Because one of the effects of the stultifyingly close coverage that the tabloids give to the royals in England is that they're constantly monitoring what they're spending. And why? So when Meghan, for instance, had a baby shower in New York at an exorbitant cost, the tabloids were all over that, etc. By making this break, they will be able to spend money in the way they want. But they will also be able to make it potentially by the truckload. First of all, for the reason you've said, that they've trademarked Sussex Royal, which is extremely clever, by the way, because it also means that if the Queen were to respond in a fit of anger and strip them of their titles, they would still have this kind of meaningless but still sort of regal-sounding Sussex Royal name to hang on to. As you said, they've, they've already indicated they might be merchandising everything from hoodies to, to socks. And... You know, potentially could be earning money in all sorts of different ways, seeking engagement, film production, who knows. So they may also actually be raking it in, which also makes the the notion that this is a a move of altruism or I don't know. Yeah. You know. Rebecca, stay cool. There's nobody in the world I would trust to stay cool in those sorts of surroundings, political and climatological, than you. Good luck. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye.